Welcome to the East Coast Believers Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires and encourages you to grow in your relationship with God. You know, last week as Pastor Norm started, if you weren't here um, and you didn't get to see it, it will be on our website, but he, he taught on staying hungry for God. What a good way to start the summer. You know, I know some of you have kids who are off for the summer, and maybe if you're a teacher, I don't know how that works. You're somewhat off for the summer. I know you still work, but, but there's no taking time off from our walk with God, and staying hungry for God is important throughout the summer months as well. If you're here Wednesday, and again, if you weren't, this will be on our website, but our youth pastor, John Dean, that man has a lot of wisdom for a young man. Hey, man, your kids are in good, good hands with he and Lisa. He taught on relieve the pressure, how to take the pressure off of us and roll the whole of our care onto the Lord. So I want to encourage you uh, to, to watch those. And so we don't compare notes, but I think everything's flowing together uh, for what the Lord wants to do. And uh, what I want to start with today is a verse from 2 Timothy. You know, the Word of God is going to make the difference in your life if you're a believer. Praise God. How many believers we have in here this morning? Amen? Good. That's better than first service. I'll still have a good altar call from, from what I could tell, the hand showing. But, but the Word is so important. And Paul makes this very clear in 2 Timothy, which uh, I should mention, 2 Timothy is the last book or letter that he wrote before he was martyred for the cause of Christ. And so if you're like me, I'm thinking, if someone writes me their last letter, what they're going to put in it is important, and I need to pay attention. And so it is with our brother in Christ, Paul. He writes, every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another. Then he tells us four ways that the Scriptures are useful for us, showing us truth. Amen. We sing songs about knowing the truth and the truth setting us free. And there are things I know many of you who've walked with the Lord for a while, you've seen in the Word, you've gotten free from things in your past and, and gotten free from habits, and it's because you saw the truth. So we like that. Now, we're not always, not always as happy with the second point here, exposing our rebellion. We don't like that. Let me explain about our rebellion. It's not so much shaking our fist at God and saying, who are you? It's more that we know the truth and instead, we decide to do things our way. That's rebellion. In fact, the Bible says, you know, to know the, the truth, to know the word and not do it is a sin. It's rebellion. It's one of the original sins, pride and rebellion. So the word will show us where we're doing things wrong. Pastor Norm teaches so often, and he, he throws in Romans 12, 1 and 2, about renewing our mind to the word of God. And if we do that, It'll expose our rebellion. We'll say, I'm sorry, Lord. I'll begin to do things your way. Then it corrects our mistakes. That's not quite as, as bad as rebellion. I was thinking of uh, my first career before I was a pastor. I was a printing pressman in a union uh, shop, and I had to go through an apprenticeship program. And part of the goal was to show us how to do things right, and when we made mistakes, show us what we did wrong so the next time we wouldn't do it. So that's a good thing, isn't it? Showing us our mistakes. It's not to highlight us and to embarrass us, but it's to help us walk closer with the Lord. And the fourth thing he says is training us to live God's way. You know, the Bible says that our life is not our own. We're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which are His. And so he shows, he trains us to live God's way so that we can be a beacon of light in this lost and dying world. Amen? 
Praise God. So through the word, we're put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. You know, during uh, my time of ministry, as we get into some of the scriptures here, they're going to confront us and cause us to think and decide where we need to make changes in our life. And it's not just, you know, God being mean. It's God helping us to be successful in life. And it's not just about us. You know, the Bible says, go into, world, into the world and not make converts, make disciples. Conversion, getting people into Christ, is just the beginning stage. We're to make disciples. And discipleship is like that apprenticeship program I was talking about, training us in the way that God says and do, does things. But I found during my ministry that, uh, you know, people really love your teaching until it applies to them. <laughs> and so I hope by the end of the service, you know, if you like me now, you may not like me now, I don't know, but if you like me now, that you like me at the end of the service, because the, the Word's going to confront all of us with some things. You know, I mentioned the first service that there's kind of an arc that uh, a pastor has in his ministry, and it's like Jesus. You know, when they first come, it's, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Then after having the word applied to us for a while, and we see we have to make some changes, some people begin to go, now, but what authority does he speak these things? <laughs> and then if they are not happy with that, it eventually ends up in crucify him, crucify him. So I hope by the end of the service, you'll say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. Because here's the verse we want to start with today. In Proverbs 24.10 from the message, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. Go, go ahead and start the car, Karen. <laughs> this is not to be mean. In fact, this is really the end of my message. Between here and the end of the message, we're going to find out how not to fall apart in a crisis. And in fact, you know, we're going to talk about being equipped for crisis being equipped for crisis, because I guarantee you they will come. Now, the word crisis, I, I like to understand what words mean, and so often I think all of us, when we hear a word and we hear it spoken in a certain context, we draw a conclusion, like for years I thought crisis was, things are in chaos, things are falling apart, there's no hope. But that's not what crisis means at all. Crisis means an unstable or crucial time in which a decisive change is about to happen. It's a turning point for better or worse. So it's not chaos. It's just a point where something has to be done to keep things from going bad and turn things to good. Do you understand that? Crisis isn't always a bad thing. Sometimes it's a point of decision that we come to. And we need to come to a point in our life where we make a decision no matter what we see or hear or feel, to take a stand on God's Word. And when we do that, we take control of the crisis. The devil doesn't have control then. Listen to what Jesus says about crisis. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus says, and this is from the Message Translation, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. You know, sometimes we as Christians... We want our walk with God, and we want the Word to work for us, but, hey, you know, we're kind of busy doing a dozen other things, and we just kind of squeeze God in when it's convenient for us. Jesus says, give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Let me give you a graphic illustration 
that some of you probably won't be able to forget. When Karen and I were dating, and as I mentioned before, this August will be our 50th wedding anniversary, so she's, <laughs> she's stuck with me for a while. And, and uh, on her behalf, I, I offered for you ladies to ask her how you develop patience and long-suffering, you know, because obviously, anyway. So what happened was we were dating, and I was at her house, and her parents were there. We were watching TV, so they went and busied themselves elsewhere in the house. And I don't know what I was watching, but when I'm watching something, uh, maybe some of you guys are like this, I'm laser-focused on whatever it is. But we're watching TV. It couldn't have been that important. And so I vaguely know that someone's talking to me next to me here. But I'm focused in on TV. And finally, firmly but gently, these two hands reach over and grab each side of my face. Sorry about that and turned my face toward her, and she said, I want you to look at me when I'm talking to you. <laughs> Give your entire attention to what I'm saying. Hey, man. Well, this is what the Holy Spirit's talking about. He wants, he's telling us, take our focus off of whatever it is that's not so important right now, and get your focus entirely on Jesus. And it all worked out well from there. <laughs> she, she trained me well. No, no, we have a good relationship. Praise God. And so this is what he's talking about. But he goes on to say, and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. You know, people have all kinds of statistics. I've heard it said that nine out of ten things we worry about never happen. Jesus is saying, give your attention to God now. Don't worry about what's happening or may not happen tomorrow. You know, worry takes the joy out of tomorrow, takes the joy out of getting up the next day and facing tomorrow. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. And if you're taking notes, you want to underline the word help. God will help. So often we want God, okay, you see the problem, come do something. What God is saying is, I want to equip you ahead of time with my word know the voice of my spirit, get comfortable with me in prayer. When the inevitable crisis comes, you're ready. You speak the word in faith, and I'll back it up, and I'll do it. He said he'll help us. So this is what we're talking about, us getting equipped today so that God can come along and help us. Give your attention starting today to God and his word. Give your attention to when he speaks to your spirit. We'll talk about that a little bit later and give attention to him in prayer each and every day. Amen. You know, I have this phrase I used when I was senior pastor. I would tell the congregation, it's hard to pour cement in a flood. Now, do you know what that means? It's hard when you just wait and wait for a crisis to come and then try to get your way out of it, try to build your foundation when the flood is overwhelming you. Now, thank God God is merciful. He'll hear you when you cry out for help, but you know, then it's up to you to get yourself built on a firm foundation. And so that's what I mean by that. It's hard to pour cement in a flood. 1 Corinthians 14.10 says, there, may, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them are without signification. There are a lot of voices trying to get our attention. Turmoil in the world. Sickness in our body. Bad financial situation. Family disintegrating. These are voices trying to get our attention off of God. 
I'm not saying these things are not happening, but I'm saying focusing on them is not going to be the answer for you. Keep your focus on Jesus. Amen. The devil wants to dominate your thoughts. That's his battlefield. And if you allow him in there, and if you continue to just think about the problem, he's got you where he wants you. He has you paralyzed. He knows if you're a Christian, you're going to heaven. He just wants to make your life miserable on the way there. He wants to keep your light hidden so that you are not the witness for other people that the Lord wants you to be. Remember what I said earlier. It's not just about getting people saved. It's discipling them. And it's not just the role of the uh, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. It's not the job of the department heads wholly to do that. We all have a part to play in discipling new believers. So I want you to think right now, how bad is your situation? What are you facing? With as many people as there are in here, many people are facing bad situations right now. What kind of problems in life are you encountering right now? Now I was thinking about in the Bible, have you ever been tossed into a lion's den yet? Okay, we're good there. How about have you ever been thrown into a fiery furnace? I remember last service as I said that, the king, I think it was Nebuchadnezzar, had Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace. And he's looking and he says, hey, how many did we throw in there? And they said, three. He said, well, I see a fourth. And he looks like the son of God. Hallelujah. You may be in a fiery furnace situation right now, but if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, he's in there with you and not just to comfort you, but to bring you out of that. It even says about them when they brought them out, there wasn't even the smell of smoke on them. What does that mean for your situation? You may think this is going to haunt me the rest of my life. Let me tell you, if you put your trust and faith in Jesus to deliver, that is not going to linger on you, whatever it is. I could enumerate some things, but it's not going to hang with you because Jesus is going to, as we sing, completely set you free. Amen. You know, I asked the question, have you ever been like Jonah, swallowed by a big fish? And I said, you know, I've been blessed to eat a lot of big fish in my life, but they went into me and it wasn't so good for them. Amen. But I've never been swallowed by a big fish. But every problem that you faced in life has already been answered by the resurrection power of Jesus Christ inside of you. And as we go through these things today, I want you to consider this. This is very important. Instead of thinking, oh, how bad can this get? Begin to think, how good can this get? I've got the Word of God. I've got the Spirit of God inside me. I've got brothers and sisters in Christ to pray with me and to help me through. Change your attitude today. How good can this get? Oh, you're not rejoicing? Well, James said, count it all joy when you face diverse temptations. You know why? You got the Word. You got the Spirit. You got brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus is already one. So you might as well, instead of thinking, oh, is this going to get worse? Think, you know what? This is going to get better. This is going to be good. Amen? I was reading an article recently, and it was about a World War II sailor whose boat was shot out from under him, and he, for days he floated at sea on, on a, a piece of uh, wood, and he was finally rescued. And so they were interviewing him recently, and they said, how did you manage to survive? And I wrote this down. Here's what he said. You have to struggle to live, but all you have to do to die is give up. I'm here today to help you not to give up. And I'm also here to tell you your life is not a struggle. This is what he said, but your life is a battle. The good part is 
The weapons of your warfare aren't earthly. They're spiritual. They're the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And you are going to win this. But to be fair and upfront with you, you're going to face battles. We're just equipping you to win every time. Amen? Jesus said in John 16, in this world, these things have I spoken to you, unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. You shall have trouble, trials, problems. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And I underlined that part that in me, you who are in Christ already, you who are Christians, you're going to face problems. He said that. But then he said, be of good cheer. Throw a party because I've already overcome the world and you're in me. I'm going to show you a brief illustration here from the Old Testament to show you what we're talking about facing a, a circumstance that looks like there's no good way out of it. It's a crisis. And it's in Isaiah 36. Assyria was the dominant nation on the earth at this time. They were conquering nations left and right. And I mentioned this before, and I'm, I'm going to throw it out here again. The king of Assyria was Sennacherib. And I said, when I read that, it sounded like a lunch special at Four Rivers, you know. <laughs> I'll have the Sennacherib and a Diet Coke, but, you know. <laughs> we try. He was attacking all these nations and defeating them, and now he has his sight set on Jerusalem where Hezekiah is king. So, this king sent his chief of staff to offer terms of surrender because by this time, everybody in the known world knew that Assyria was just conquering nations like a black hole, just sucking them right into to their kingdom. And so he sent terms of surrender, assuming that Jerusalem was just going to throw up their hands and quit. And so in verse 4 of chapter 36, then the Assyrian king's chief of staff told them that, to give this message to Hezekiah, the king in Jerusalem. This is what the great king of Assyria says. What are you trusting in that makes you so confident? See, there's a parallel here between what he's facing and what we face. Because again, our mind is the battlefield and the devil, when a problem comes, is saying, what do you got? What do you got? You've seen what I've done to other people. What do you got? Let me remind you. You got the word and you got the spirit. Praise God. Do you think that mere words can substitute for military skill and strength? Yes. Who are you counting on that you have rebelled against me? On Egypt? Now, at this time, nations, when they would be under siege, they would hire other nations' armies to help them and hopefully defeat uh, the army that was coming against them. So he refers to... Uh, Pharaoh, if you lean on Egypt, it will be like a reed that splinters beneath your weight and pierces your hand. Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is completely unreliable. But perhaps you'll say to me, and he's mocking him now, he's mocking Hezekiah, perhaps you'll say to me, we're trusting in the Lord our God. But isn't he the one who was insulted by Hezekiah? Didn't Hezekiah tear down his shrines and altars and make everyone in Judah and Jerusalem worship at the altar here in, in uh, Jerusalem. So what he's saying is, our nation and all the nations we've defeated have many gods. So he's thinking Israel must have many gods. And who, who are they trusting in? Because we beat all these other nations. What I'm going to give you is a little background on Hezekiah, the king, that you can apply and we can apply to our lives today. So we're going to look at 2 Kings 18 for just a moment. And it tells us the nature of the king 
of Judah right now. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, began to rule over Judah in the third year of King Hoshea's reign in Israel. And again, I'll briefly explain. At this time, after Solomon died, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms, Israel and Judah. And so we have two kings, Hoshea in Israel and, uh, and Hezekiah in Judah. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines. Remember this, this chief of staff? He's making an accusation. Look what you did. You made God mad. But no, Hezekiah had a mandate from God to tear down pagan altars and everything that, that the people of Israel were worshiping at besides in the temple of the living God. He did... He did what was pleasing in God's sight, just as his ancestor David had done. He removed the pagan shrines, smashed the sacred pillars, and cut down the Asherah poles. He broke up the bronze serpent that Moses had made because the people of Israel had been offering sacrifices to it. The bronze serpent was called Nehushtan. Now, this is kind of an aside, and I don't want to spend much time here, but this bronze serpent was when... Israel was leaving Egypt, going to the land of promise, but they were in rebellion for 40 years. And at one point, they were in such rebellion that the hand of the Lord came off of them, and snakes came into the camp and began to bite people, kill them, make them sick. And the Lord told Moses, if you'll make a brass serpent or a bronze serpent, put it on a post and hold it up, and everyone who fixes their gaze on that will be healed. And Jesus referred to it in the Gospels when he said, if I, the, like Moses in the wilderness with the bronze serpent, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. And so they're still hundreds of years later still worshiping this piece of brass. And so I looked this up, and the word Nehushtan means a mere piece of brass. They were wasting their time worshiping this piece of brass instead of going to the temple of God and worshiping the one true God. And I just throw this out for you to think about. Do you have any Nehushtans in your life? Are you counting on your job to be your source? Are you counting on your political party to be your source? I know some are. What are you counting on? You know what it is? It's a mere political party. It's a mere job. As long as you're keeping your focus on Jesus, it's all going to work out for you. I want to assure you of that. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. He remained faithful to the Lord in everything, and he carefully obeyed all the commands the Lord had given Moses. So the Lord was with him, and Hezekiah was successful in everything he did. He revolted against the king of Assyria and refused to pay him tribute. And this is where we come up today in Isaiah 36 that God wasn't mad at Hezekiah for getting rid of these false idols he was worshiping. We need to check that in our own life. He was glad because Hezekiah was pointing the people back to the worship of the one true God. And so, the character of Hezekiah is something that we can learn from. In the face of adversity, he rebelled against the king of Assyria and said, I will not worship like you tell me to worship. I'll worship the one true God. I will not submit to captivity. And that's what the devil wants us to do every day. It's a key tactic of the devil. And you can't help but hearing in your mind 
the taunts of the devil. What are you going to do with this situation? Now what are you going to do? There's no way out of this one. We can't help but hear that, but we can do something about it. And that's what we're talking about today. What do we do when a crisis does come in our life? You know, the devil works on us in the battlefield of our mind. Look at the next verse here in Isaiah 36. He says, I'll tell you what, strike a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. And that's just like the devil. Hey, I know you're in a bad situation, but just back off, you know, your church. Back off your giving. Back off your serving. You deserve it. You just sit back and relax. As long as we reason in our mind, we're on his territory, and he'll defeat us every time. You know, he's been around for a long time, and he doesn't play fair. But if we get in our mental realm, he's going to beat us every time. It says in uh, chapter, excuse me, verse 18, he says, don't let Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will rescue you. Again, he talks about the nations and the false gods that Assyria has defeated time after time. Verse 20 says, what God of any nation has ever been able to save its people from my power? So what makes you think, there it is again, what makes you think that the Lord can rescue Jerusalem from me? It's a challenge. Do you trust God or do you trust putting your life into the hands of someone who doesn't care at all for you, the devil? What makes you think? The devil wants you to think, do you really think that Bible stuff works? That faith stuff works? Does it really help you to go to church? Well, you have to answer that for yourself. But the obvious answer is yes. It equips you for crisis. But here's what Hezekiah did, like any good pastor would do. Verse 21. But the people were silent and did not utter a word. For Hezekiah's command was, do not answer him. And I'm going to tell you why he said that. Because he knew his people and he knew they were being trained in the Word of God, but he knew that just like so many of us sometimes, when a crisis comes, we can respond from our senses, what we see, what we hear, what we feel. And we can't defeat the devil if we respond from what our senses are telling us. We can only defeat him if we respond from what the Word of God says. In Luke chapter 4, that's how Jesus defeated the devil in the wilderness. I've never been on a 40-day fast. Jesus was. And at his weakest point, the devil came and tempted him in three areas. We'll just call this in the, in the uh, mind, in the eyes, you know, and in pride. The world, the flesh, and the devil. He tried to challenge Jesus, but Jesus came back every time with, it is written. And he defeated the devil in that area. So that's why never answer out of fear because we might respond from our senses instead of the Word of God. Amen? You know, Assyria, we talked about them. 200 years they had never been defeated. I said we could look at it like this. They're 200 and oh, undefeated. What was, what was Jerusalem going to do at this time to make it 201, one defeat? They were at a time of crisis. It could go very bad. They could be slaughtered, taken into captivity, Jerusalem torn up, what was going to happen? What happened was Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet had been teaching people the Word of God. They were preparing them for such a time as this. And instead of speaking in fear, they let the king speak for them who said, 
we're not submitting to the king of Assyria. You need to say, I'm not submitting to the devil. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go the path he's telling me. I'm going to stay on the word of God and I'm going to come out of this victoriously. So without going through the rest of the story, I'll do a spoiler alert. Read Isaiah 37. God wins. Amen. Jerusalem is delivered. And I didn't say this before, but people rose up against King Sennacherib and they assassinated him. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, anything that bad has to happen, but I'm just saying that the people stood on the word of God. Assyria would not submit to God, and so they lost. You know, when Judah faced their worst crisis, they were prepared. And so my question today is, are you prepared? Jesus said in Matthew 6, we won't read all these verses, but you're familiar with this. He said, no one can serve two masters. And for the sake of our message today, you can't serve faith and fear at the same time. You have to be totally in faith that God has this. Whatever you're facing, whatever care you're rolling over on God and trusting Him, He's got this. Once you enter into fear, the devil has you. Jesus went on to say, that's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. You know, we worry about a lot of things every day that aren't really that big a deal. You know, I mean... Not that this is not important, but it's not that big a deal. Oh my gosh, I keep getting cut off in traffic. I'm going to be late for work. You idiots, get out of my way. You know, we're getting in fear. We're taking things into our own. Jesus said, don't worry about everyday life. He said, I'm going to take care of your food, your drink. I'm going to take care of your housing. He says in verse 27, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And the answer is no. Verse 31, he says, so don't worry about these things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Verse 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. Jesus says twice in these verses, don't worry about anything because worry will not solve your problems. Begin to look at the word, begin to lean on the word. I mean, the Bible is full of of blessings and promises, but also full of warnings. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person faces many troubles. I know you didn't probably come to hear that today, but yet in your heart you know it's true. The righteous person faces many troubles. That's not the end of the verse. But the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Aren't you glad that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Because there are times where we all want to just throw up our hands and say, what use is it? But the Holy Spirit, who Jesus called our helper, our strengthener, our standby, comes up and goes, oh no, you got this. You got the word of God. You've got Jesus backing this up. Oh, by the way, the angels are waiting for you to just speak the word and they're on this. Church, you've got this. Don't let the devil, when problems come, get you to think thoughts of defeat. There's nothing wrong with looking at your problem. Don't, this message is not for you to ignore your problem. This is for you to face your problem and say, I've got this. Jesus and I together are going to come out of this victorious. That's the crux of what I'm saying today. Remember, even though Assyria was 200 and oh, the God you serve is undefeated throughout all time. Think about that. If we put a symbol up, it would be infinity and zero. God, undefeated every time. And you're in Christ and he's in you. And there's no way you can be defeated. And we're going to look at some reasons why. 
You know, in Acts 2.24, Peter on the day of Pentecost, when he was preaching a Holy Ghost sermon, he said that God raised Jesus up from death. I like this. Since it was impossible for him to be kept down. It was impossible for him to be kept in death's power. And Romans 8.11 says, if that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, and if you're saved, that same spirit does live in you. It says it will quicken, it will make alive your mortal bodies. In other words, you've got the same power in you that Jesus had when he raised from what the world would call an impossible situation, from death, because it was impossible. That's why those of us who have Christ in us can agree with Romans 8.37. We can boldly say, despite all these things, all these problems, despite everything that you're facing right now, overwhelming victory is ours. Praise God. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. So whatever your situation is today, you can get alone if you want to and say, problem, whatever it is, I've got overwhelming victory in this. Jesus is here with me fighting my battles. So the next few minutes, I'm going to give you five things. I said last service that Pastor Norm had five things last week. Must be the perfect number. In February, Pastor Jim had nine things. Too many? Too many? (laughs) Five things that will help you overcome a crisis when it comes. Number one, these are, some of these are the proverbial no-brainers. Be full of the Word of God before you speak. Take time each day to get some word in you. I know that some of you are going through the Bible in a year with Pastor Norm. Continue that. If you haven't started, pick it up and start. There's an app for your phone called YouVersion. They have all kinds of, of different devotionals. It's right there at your fingertip. Get full of the Word of God. Proverbs 16.23 says, The heart of the wise teaches his mouth and adds learning to his lips. Your spirit, when you put the Word of God in, it has the answer every time a problem comes against you. Jesus said in Luke 6.45 that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. Now we're going to skip to the last part. What you say flows from what is in your heart or your spirit. Do you see the importance of putting the Word of God inside of you each and every day? We had a friend who had a bad, bad diagnosis a number of years ago. The doctor did, had done an operation, and he wasn't giving her full clearance. He said it could go either way. She would go to work each day, but at the end of each day, she would go home, go into her room, get out her Bible, get out books about healing, play worship tapes, or, yeah, I just told on my age, worship tapes. Of these things you used to fix with a pencil. You remember that? All right. <laughs> She would put those on and listen and build up her spirit, build up her trust more and more in the Word of God. And of course, she came through it victoriously. Amen. Put the Word inside of you. Two, be careful what you think about on a regular basis. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he in behavior. It's important what you think on. What you think on, you'll begin to act on. And if you're thinking on doubt and defeat, you're going to, you know, you're going to, Act like you're defeated. What do I think on then? Philippians 4.8. Now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts. Remember back at the beginning? Fix your thoughts. Look, pay attention on what is true 
and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. As you go through the Word, see yourself healed. Say to yourself, 1 Peter 2.24 says that by His stripes I am healed. You know, as you're, as you're praying, begin to say, God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory. Think on those things. The Spirit of God in us leads us not into what we should do. The Spirit of God and the Word of God lead us into what we should be. See, if we're thinking about, if I do this just right, maybe God will bless me. No, that's, that's a, what we call a works mentality. What we do is see what the Word of God says, and we see ourselves in the Word. That's me, I'm that healed person. That's me, I'm that blessed person. And we begin to act out of our spirit what we are. It's not a job issue, it's a character issue. Three, you may not have thought about this, and if you're a guest here today, just something to pray about. Find your pastor and learn from him. I know most of us say, well, I'm looking for a good church, and we understand. I know, I know what you mean when you say that. Programs are important. We have wonderful children's youth program, small groups, and many other things where we bless the community. But the important thing is, is God saying to you, and it's not me, it's Pastor Norm, is that your pastor? That's what you want to know. Then the words your pastor speaks should be important to you. I have a grandson who's in his early 20s now, but when he was six, seven, eight years old, he was very interested in trains. And so he lives 600 miles away. I saw an article with pictures on trains, so I cut it out, put it in a brown envelope, and mailed it to him. A few days later, I called my son, Chris. I said, hey, did Judah get his, uh, his envelope? He goes, oh yeah, he kind of chuckled. He said, he's walking around with it under his arm, and people say, what is that? And he goes, that's my important papers. Grandpa sent it to him, it was important. When your pastor speaks, don't do the number two part. By what authority is he saying these things? The words should be important to you. You need to find your pastor, amen? That's what you're looking for. Hebrews 13, seven says, remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think about all the good that has come from their lives and follow their example of faith. Don't just follow people who say things. Follow people who do things. Amen. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Be responsive to your pastoral leaders. Listen to their counsel. They are alert to the condition of your lives. I can say this for the staff, but especially Pastor Norman Dina. They pray for you every day. They're aware many times by the Spirit things going on, and they pray for you every day. They work under the strict supervision of God. Contribute to the joy of their leadership, not its drudgery. Why would you want to make things harder for them? Four, find spiritual mentors. Spiritual mentors to help you grow. The best place you can find a spiritual mentor is in a small group. It could be the leader of the small group. It could be someone who you recognize has, is very solid in the things of God. And there are things you're working with or struggling with or want to know more about. It's up to you to go and say, could I get with you sometime? Can I buy you a cup of coffee? Can I buy you lunch? There's some things I want you to help me with. That's what a spiritual mentor is all about. You let God connect you with them too. When I was pastoring in Indiana, we did a men's uh, overnight camp out one night. And the next morning around the campfire, the Lord's impressed on my heart. He'd never done that. And I argued with him. 
you know, inside for a couple of minutes, but he said, I want you to make yourself available to the men who came to get with them if they want to, one-on-one, let them ask you any questions about the Bible or just things about life. And so I, I did that. I made myself available. Let's say there were 20 men there. Two came to me and took advantage. One was my son and another, a young man who's in the ministry right now. And I'm not saying that it would have averted anything, but it was certainly God reaching out to these men to help. Uh, Several of them ended up in a divorce situation. Several ended up backsliding. All I'm saying was God was offering an opportunity for them to be stronger in their faith. And we have many people in here who are strong in the faith. And the best way to meet them, as I said, is in small groups so you can get a mentor to help you. And finally, spend time in prayer so you can learn the voice of the Spirit. I won't read this whole section of verse, but Jesus said, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. It goes on to say He'll show you things to come. When I was uh, in my mid-30s, I was talking to a man at the church I went to, and he was probably my age right now. He'd been in World War II. He was telling me the story about being in England, camped outside of a small town. And there's nothing to do, so every day they would go into a small town with one road going through it, and they would just talk. And right in the middle was a road that teed off and went into a, a uh, sheep pen on either side. So one day, a shepherd and sheep are coming in from both sides down that road, and he's thinking, what's going to happen now? They got to the middle, they started down toward the sheep pens, all the sheep went together, and he thought, Now what is he going to do? How are they ever going to separate that out? But down at the end, each shepherd began to call out in his voice. And all the sheep separated, one to one side and one to the other. And something just exploded in me when he told me that. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them and they'll follow me. Spend time in prayer so you can get to know the voice of the Lord. So as we close, let's look at those again real quick. Get to know God's Word for yourself before the crisis comes. Be careful what you're thinking on regularly. What you think on, you become. Find who your pastor is and learn from him. Find spiritual mentors to help you on a day-to-day basis in your growth with the Lord. And then spend time in prayer so you personally can know the voice of the Spirit for yourselves. Now, as we close, some of you may be watching online, or there may be some here today, and you're thinking, I'm already in the midst of a crisis. Well, I want to offer this to you. At the end of every service, we have what we call prayer partners. Come down and get your faith jump-started today at the end of service. Whatever you're facing, pray with them. And then from that point, go out and go, I'm going to do what Pastor Gwen said. I'm going to get in the Word. I'm going to be careful what I think on. You know, I'm going to get spiritual mentors, etc., God is merciful. He'll take you where you're at. You know, He knows your heart. So, if you're watching online and you have a crisis situation, find the place where you can send in the prayer request. As Pastor Jim said, we pray for those every week. We're here to help jumpstart your walk with the Lord. Thank you for listening to the East Coast Believers Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by this message. For more info about this podcast or other resources, visit eastcoastbelievers.org.